Welcome to a new podcast. I call it The Apologist's Bookshelf. Hi, I'm Gary Zacharias, professor of English and an avid reader, and uh, I especially love reading books on Christian apologetics, which make a case for the truth of Christianity. And there are so many good books out there in various fields that you can get interested in regarding Christian apologetics, areas of science and history and pop culture and tactics, just to name a few. So the purpose of this podcast is to help people know what good books are out there, what authors are out there. This is a golden age of apologetics. So many people are writing some terrific books, and I'd like you to understand some of the key points that these people are covering. In each podcast, my plan is to pull a book off my bookshelf, give an overview of the book, let you know a little bit about the author, and then focus on just one chapter rather than trying to cover the entire book. So it'll be uh, key points of one chapter, my reflections on those points, and then the next podcast, I'll do the same for another book. So we'll just get a kind of a brief flavor in each podcast for these books. And my hope is that I would be giving you more information and uh, more confidence in the truth of Christianity and encourage you to maybe uh, to read the book if you have some time. So let's get started. Today I wanted to focus on uh, one of my favorite people. I've talked to him. Uh, he's been at our church. He's been in our class talking to an apologetics class that we have. His name is Jay Warner Wallace. He goes by Jim, Jim Wallace. His first book, and that's one I wanted to start with, is called Cold Case Christianity. That's cold with a hyphen, case, Christianity. Subtitle is A Homicide Detective Investigates the Claims of the Gospels. And uh, Wallace is an amazing guy. He started out as an angry atheist, as his dad called him. He investigated the claims of uh, Jesus. He looked at the New Testament documents and realized they sure sounded like eyewitness testimony, like he'd been encountering as a detective, as a cold case detective. And he became a Christian. He's been, uh, he's been in movies. He's been on talk shows. He speaks all over the world. Uh, amazing guy. Produced some new books after this one, uh, The Cold Case Christianity. He's got God's Crime Scene. That's really good. He's got one called Forensic Faith. I love that one. He's got a new one coming out soon called uh, Person of Interest. So he's prolific. He's got a website that you can go to and learn so much. It's called coldcasechristianity.com. Okay, no hyphen in this case. Just the words coldcasechristianity.com. So I hope you have a chance to explore some of the topics that he gets into. Uh, here are just a couple of comments by people who think this book is a, a really good read. Rick Warren pretty famous pastor. He said he's one of the most thoughtful and winsome apologists for the gospel I know. Josh McDowell, famous, uh, one of the early people interested in apologetics, he calls it a fantastic book. He said, I wish I had this resource when I first examined the Christian faith. Greg Kokel says, uh, it's the most clever and compelling defense I've ever read for the reliability of the New Testament record. So those are just some people, and others uh, just rave about this book. So let's do this. Let's take a look at one of his chapters. This will be chapter two. By the way, let me, let me, I should do this too. Let me just tell you some of the other things that he talks about. He looks at the gospel writers. He said, were they present? Were they corroborated? Were they accurate? Were they biased? I mean, those are the kinds of things that you want to know about. And plus, he puts this all in the context of cold case detecting. So he tells you about some famous cases and ties this all together. So he's, 
He wants you to think like a detective, and that's what he says in chapter 2. That's the chapter I want to look at today. He calls it, Learn How to Infer. And so he says, you got to think like a detective. And he says detectives all use what's called abductive reasoning. Uh, it's also called inferring to the most reasonable explanation. So he says you, you go to the scene and you collect all the data and all the facts, and he lists some possible explanations that could account for what they've seen. And then they look at the evidence compared to the explanations. They come up with what they think is the most reasonable inference in light of all the evidence. So he says, uh, let's, let's do detective work when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, because that's the crucial linchpin of all Christianity, isn't it? So the, the key question is, what happened to Jesus of Nazareth? How do you explain the empty tomb? You know, what, what took place that morning? Now, he starts by referring to a book called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus by Dr. Gary Habermas and Professor Mike Lacona. And I'll be talking about them in a future podcast but just know that Habermas has collected, he's a research professor, by the way, but he has collected the most accepted facts that historians agree on. And this would be the vast majority of scholars and experts, all the way from Christians to non-believers. What, what do they say are the most substantiated facts about the case of the death of, and burial of Jesus? And he says four four items. So here's the first. Historians of all stripes, both believers and non-believers, they agree that Jesus died on the cross and was buried. Okay, so let's keep that in, in mind, that Jesus really did die on the cross or really was buried. Number two, what do historians agree about? Jesus' tomb was empty and nobody ever came up with a body. That's going to be crucial as we walk through some different possible explanations here in a minute. So number one, Jesus did die. He was buried. Number two, the tomb was empty. No body was ever produced. Number three, what's something else that historians agree on? At least 99%. There are always a few that would be ornery and won't agree with anybody else. But these are the vast majority. Number three, Jesus' disciples believed that they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Now notice that's different than saying... Jesus really did rise from the dead and appeared to them. Many historians will not go that far. The ones that are not believers, obviously, they, they will not go that far. But they'll agree that the disciples believed that they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. Okay, and then what's the fourth thing? Another minimal fact that historians agree on, that there was a huge transformation in the disciples after these so-called resurrection observations that they had. Okay, so let's go through the four real quickly, one more time, because then we're going to take these four minimal facts and line them up against possible explanations for what happened to Jesus that day and that weekend when he died. So number one, historians agree Jesus died on the cross, was buried. Two, his tomb was empty. Nobody ever produced the body. Number three, Jesus' disciples at least believed that they saw Jesus resurrected. And number four, that transformed them. Whatever happened, those alleged observations transformed them. Okay, so here's what Wallace does. He, uh, By the way, I've heard uh, two or three other minimal facts that you could add to that, but I'm not going to get into that now. I don't want to muddy the waters, but uh, there are some other facts that you can toss in there that historians would agree on, but we'll take that those four minimal facts that Wallace brings up. So he said, all right, now let's become detectives. 
We've got the facts in front of us. Let's look at at least some possible explanations that are out there. What, what have people suggested may have happened? And we'll notice over and over again, Wallace is going to show us there are problems with these possible explanations. They all get, they're like balloons. They all get popped. But here's the first one. Maybe the disciples were just mistaken about his death. Maybe he actually survived and got out of the tomb. The tomb was cool and he revived in there and he showed up after he recovered. Now that's, that's a possibility, but are there problems with that? Yeah, uh, for, one, for one thing, you're dealing with the Romans. I mean, what did they do? They made sure you died. Death on the cross was something a Roman guard had to make sure happened. They faced death, the Romans did, if they allowed a prisoner to survive crucifixion. And Jesus comes to his disciples later and he shows them his wounds, but he doesn't behave as if he was wounded. He also disappears from the his, from history following this resurrection and ascension. He was never cited again. But hey, wait a minute. If he really did live and had never died on the cross, then there should be a record of him continuing years later. But we don't see that. We got things like the Gospels recording the stabbing of Jesus in the side and the blood and water coming out. That seems to suggest something terrible went on in his body there. Plus, I'm just adding one more thing. Can you imagine if you're a disciple and here comes this guy staggering back, bleeding still, and somehow he survives that thing? Are you willing to go out and proclaim this, this person as the Messiah and, and face death yourself? based on just him being lucky. Wallace always also says that many first century and second century unfriendly sources, like the Romans and the Jews, affirmed that he was crucified and died. So that's a pretty poor idea that he somehow survived. Sometimes it's called the swoon theory, and it has so many problems, doesn't it? It does account for the empty tomb, but it doesn't account for the transformation. Remember those four points that Wallace was talking about? It does not have anything to do with the transformation. You would not be transformed. You'd be amazed that a guy survived, but you wouldn't call him the Messiah and go out and put your life on the line. All right, here's a second possibility. Some non-Christians say that the disciples stole the body. Then they came up with the story later. So think about that for a minute. Well, does that work? Let's go back to the four points again. Jesus died on the cross. The tomb was empty. The disciples thought they saw him resurrected, and then they were transformed. You can probably already think of some problems here. It fails to deal with their transformed lives. If they knew that Jesus died and stayed dead, they're not going to go out and put their own lives on the line because it's all, it's all a fake. And Jewish authorities took a lot of precautions to make sure that tomb was guarded. And the people local to the event would have known that it's a lie. And the disciples had no motive to create this life. What did they get out of it? Death. They got isolated. They got cast out of their assemblies. That, that makes no sense at all if it's just them lying about it. Okay, so now we've, we've shot down two other possibilities. Here's the third one. The, the disciples were delusional. They hallucinated. They wanted so badly for Jesus to be there that when they got together, they hallucinated him among them. Well, look at those four minimal facts again. How does that explain the empty tomb? If they say, oh gosh, we want Jesus to be here, but he's still in the tomb, all the authorities have to do is pull the body out. And this thing shoots, shoots itself down, doesn't it? 
Here's another problem with that one. Individuals can have hallucinations, Wallace points out, but there are no examples of groups of people having the exact same hallucination. That doesn't make sense. And he was seen on more than one occasion by a bunch of different groups in a bunch of different locations. And what, what happened to the corpse? We're back to that again. We've got the issue of the uh, empty tomb. So that's a pretty poor possibility. Here's a fourth, here's a fourth one that people have put out as a, as a possibility, that maybe there was an imposter that tricked the disciples, like maybe Jesus had a brother, and he shows up and uh, pretends to be Jesus and fools them. Well, you, that might explain the transformation. Okay, but the impersonator would have to be so familiar with Jesus that he could pass as Jesus. He'd have to possess miracle, uh, uh, miracle powers, miraculous powers, because the disciples claimed that he performed more miracles after his uh, death and resurrection. And, and who's going to start a world religious movement if it wasn't one of the disciples? Why Somebody else is involved? Now you've got a second group that's involved in a conspiracy. Why would they start a different religion? And we're back to the problem again, that empty tomb. If this is a, a fake, then you've got that tomb with a body in it. So that one, I think, falls apart pretty well, too. And then Wallace says, well, how about this? That maybe instead of mass hallucinations, maybe it was just one or two of the disciples that had a vision of Jesus, and then they convinced all the others. Well, you're back to that problem again. You're going to stub your toe on the problem of that empty tomb. That doesn't make any sense. And even if you could persuade everybody, then they had visions. So you're back to the problem of their visions. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really, again, account for all these different sightings of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels after the resurrection. They talked about as many, and Paul talked about as many as 500 people could testify to this. Now we're back to that missing tomb thing again. Notice how over and over again that problem pops up. Here's another possibility, at least. Wallace says, well, maybe the stories of Jesus are legend that they didn't develop until years and years later, and it was a distortion. Well, that might account for the empty tomb, I guess, but the disciples, the early, early claims of the disciples talked about the resurrection. In fact, in the earliest accounts, they are citing the resurrection of Jesus as their piece of evidence that he was God. And we have these creeds, these statements of faith that are found all through Paul's letters, for example. And they go back to maybe a year, a year and a half after the death and burial of Jesus. And they claim that he was resurrected. There's not enough time for mythology to come about. There's not enough time for legends to develop. We get from the very first the account of the resurrection of Jesus. So... We've taken six, I say we, uh, Jim Wallace, has taken six possible answers and shown how they don't work. What are we left with? Here we go. The disciples were accurately reporting the real resurrection of Jesus. Now that accounts for all of those things, the empty tomb, the resurrection obser uh, observations, and of course the transformation of the disciples. It, it takes all those things into account. What's the only stumbling block, the only belief that it's going to be a stumbling block to a lot of people is it requires a belief in the supernatural. So that's going to hold some people up, maybe, that it really did happen. 
That explains the death, the burial, the empty tomb, the disciples claiming to see Jesus, and their transformation. And Wallace says, if you walk through all of these other possibilities, he says he sees the conclusion is that Jesus was resurrected as the Gospels reported. You can infer, there we go again, you can infer this from the available evidence. The resurrection is at least reasonable. And he's going to go on in other chapters to explore this a little further. So that's it for uh, today's podcast. I just I'd like to encourage you to read anything that Wallace puts out. He's got some great videos on YouTube. Uh, he's all over the place, and his, his books are wonderful. The videos are wonderful. He's got great articles on coldcasechristianity.com. He's a warm, wonderful individual. If you could ever have him come speak at your church, uh, the church would be energized. Uh, he's a terrific individual, and I highly, highly recommend anything by J. Warner Wallace. Okay, well, thank you, and uh, hope to see you again in a future podcast.